prayer is based on the foundation of relationship. And so it is simply and yet profoundly the reality that we get to talk to God and listen to Him. And prayer, in a sense, because of that, prayer is the living out of our identity of being reconciled to God. Somewhat anxious, always authentic. This is Real Life Loading. I'm your host, Shelby Abbott, and our desire with this podcast is to help guide you toward the life-changing power of Jesus for relationships in a constantly shifting culture. We're called Real Life Loading, dot, 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 and those three dots at the end of our title describe being in process. We haven't arrived. We're very much in a state of loading. And it's my job to be a trusted friend, to come alongside you and help you walk closely with God in the humor and hardship of life. Well, today I'm talking with my good friend, Ruth Bethany. Ruth and I have known each other for several years, and our families have served alongside one another at the Ocean City, Maryland summer mission for the last five years. One of the ways Ruth has really challenged and encouraged me is in the area of prayer. Frankly, I kind of stink at the discipline of prayer, but Ruth has helped me to see it from a relational aspect in ways that have taken the stereotypes and the lofty language out of what I thought prayer was. I can honestly say that I love Jesus more because of the ways Ruth has taught me and others how to pray. So today we're going to talk about setting couches on fire as a college student. Yes, literally. Why prayer even matters that we as Christians are not employees of God, and how prayer is essentially a living out of our identity as God's child. We're going to reshape the narrative today on what you think about prayer, and you're going to love my time with Ruth Bethany. I want to start by asking you this question. You and I are both Hokies. Yes, we are. We're from Virginia Tech. Yes, we are. What's your favorite Hokie story from being in Blacksburg for the last several years, both as a student and a staff, can you think of like one favorite thing? Yeah. Um, the first thing that came to mind was, I think I was a sophomore and it was downpouring rain and a message went out to a group of people just saying, hey, we're going to go play kickball in the drill field, which is, you know, the huge the field in the middle, there, yeah. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. middle of campus. And we're just going to play kickball. And it was, I mean, we're getting soaked. And we made this rule that you could only score if you slid into this ginormous <laughs> puddle. Like, And so that's, that's what it was, you know. So we're just wet and we're running and the field is mainly mud and you're sliding into a ginormous puddle. And that's like one of my highlight memories. Yeah. From It's not deep, but it was just like, this is fun. This is what college students do this is what we do we yeah, do we just go we play do. yeah yeah so i love that i remember there was a, a gigantic snowball fight one yes. time on not on not on the drill field but on the on another quad where people just started a snowball fight i remember looking into the air and it looked like just constant things were flying like little meteorites were falling to the ground all the time i remember that and then i remember um my freshman year, there's this notorious, infamous dorm called Pritchard. Oh, yeah. Which is, <laughs> was all dudes at the time. I'm not sure what it is now. It's is it not, all guys yeah, now? It's, not, it's, it's co-ed. So it's co-ed now. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm sure it's a lot more tame. But 
they had lit a couch on fire of course. and were like pushing it out the window to the ground. And I was like, that's a piece of furniture that's on fire falling to the ground. I was like, what is that? Why are we rioting? There was nothing going on. There was no like football game. It was just for fun, quote unquote fun. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it's like the boredom that leads to creative ideas <laughs> creative ideas air quotes creative creative ideas yeah. amongst the dudes yeah because yes, now yeah. that it's co-ed i'm sure the place is a lot more safe a lot more yeah you know one of the things that i really enjoy about you that's unique to you is that you have not only gained a heart of prayer yourself you have been this infectious way of helping other people gain a heart for prayer. So I wanted to ask you a few questions specifically about prayer, since that's such a huge part of who you are and what your ministry is about. Um, as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, why? let's start with the obvious question. Why does prayer even matter? Yeah, it's such an important question. And um, I feel like there's layers to why it matters. Um, mm -hmm. I think about, I'm going to kind of, I think through three categories of just relationally why it matters as a follower of Christ, um, looking at the life of Jesus and why it matters as we follow him and then our utter dependence on him. So I think at the foundation and what I'll probably keep coming back to as we have this conversation is that prayer is based on the foundation of relationship. And so we are followers of Christ because of what Christ did on the cross for us. But what he did on the cross for us, the good news of the good news, the pinnacle of the gospel is that we are brought into relationship with God. <laughs> it's not, we're just not forgiven and we can go on our way or we're forgiven or we just even are employees of God yeah. that we are brought into relationship with Him. And so that's the foundation of prayer is relationship. And it is simply and yet profoundly the reality that we get to talk to God and listen to Him. And prayer, in a sense, because of that, prayer is the living out of our identity of being reconciled to God. It's living out the identity that we are sons and daughters of a living, relational, intimately connected God. Um, and so it's an expression of that identity. So I think the main thing I think of is relationally why it matters, but then also, yeah, I could keep going on. So I don't know, like in terms of... Not a lot of people think about it that way. They yeah. just think this is something that I have to do in order to check off a list or the things that I need to ask of God. Mm. Um, so they think of it as a duty or they think of it as let me go make my requests to God. They don't typically think of it. And maybe some people do, sure. But like not many people are thinking through the grid of relationship. And when you connect that to human relationships, you don't just like have this initial interaction. People don't just get married and yeah. then <laughs> approach each other for like stuff later on. Right. Every now and then I need to talk to you, go get these things at Walmart for me <laughs> or, or, uh, you know, let me do my daily duty of like saying hello. And then I turn my back and go about my day. Yeah. Nobody would think about it like that in terms of like a, a human relationship or a friendship or like a, a familial relationship. You're not like that with your parents. 
Um, it's more grounded. It's more intimate. And prayer is the means by which that happens. Yeah. Um, so obviously we'll, we'll keep expounding on that. But how have you personally seen God move through prayer? Can you give us some examples of how you've seen him work? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, so many different ways he has moved through prayer. Um, I think one of the things I kept thinking about is when you know people are praying for you and how you can experience, and I have experienced a peace that transcends all understanding, the peace of God that is coming through the covering of prayer. There was a time where we were going through a lot of, I was going through a lot of health things after I just had our fourth baby girl and life was not good circumstantially. I was having to have like this emergency surgery and we had a newborn baby and three other daughters and I experienced peace and I was like, there's no earthly reason why I should experience peace right now. But I did, and I knew there is so many people that are praying over a family. So experiencing that peace that comes through the covering of prayer. Um, have also seen God. There's just been different times I've asked Him for opportunities to share the gospel. And so I know I'm going into places, I'm like, God, would you just open doors? And some are more obvious than others, but some have been, you know, what feel like on a silver platter of him just <laughs> yeah. walking into a room and my coworkers when I was a waitress talking about heaven and hell and one of my coworkers just saying, well, I'm destined to go to hell because I've already sinned and where is their hope? Oh, wow. And I'm walking in on that. And that was right after I had just prayed, God, would you give me some opportunities to pray, <laughs> you know, to share the gospel at work? And yeah. then it was like, hey, you know, there's actually another option. And, um, and so things like that, just watching him move in that way. Um, yeah, and I think one of my favorite stories, this was over time, but my grandmother, who is now 94, she was someone that we prayed for for decades to come to Christ, decades. And so there was many times where that prayer just felt like it wasn't answered. Like, God, I know you love her even more than I do. Yep. <laughs> Why are you not answering this prayer? And um, But seeing her, just thinking like thousands of prayers prayed over her. And then on her 90th birthday, she came to Christ. And I just, I truly <sighs> wow. believe it's ultimately God, but that He uses prayers to soften the hearts of people. And so... Yeah, I could keep going on in terms of how God's moved for the third prayer, but those are some of the ways that first come to mind. That's so beautiful. So obviously, we don't want to just guess at what we're supposed to pray. We want to be intentional about grounding our prayers in a specific way. And obviously, the best way to do that is through Scripture. So can you think of any passages of Scripture that have informed your view of prayer as opposed to just kind of pulling ideas out of the sky? Yeah, and this is a a huge plug for Scripture in terms of growing. (laughs) Shout out to (laughs) Scripture! Shout out! (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I keep thinking about how Scripture has been absolutely crucial in informing prayer and strengthening my prayer life because it reminds me of the nature of God. So even when I don't feel like praying, Scripture can provoke me to pray um, when I don't feel like it. And so... Yeah, I think when, I know, talking at the very beginning, just how foundationally, why does prayer matter is that we we have been restored into relationship with God. And so some of the passages of Scripture that um, help me in prayer is remembering what is that relationship like? 
And um, I think of the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, and he's teaching about prayer. And I remember reading that and reading, thinking he's teaching his disciples in the midst of a crowd. What does it mean just to follow him? And he talks about prayer, but that he begins, you know, teaching them how to pray. And he just says the phrase, our Father. And it hit me afresh of, it's not just Father, you know, collective Father. It's Jesus saying to his followers, who are also, were brothers and sisters to Christ, which is mind-blowing, but Mm -hmm. he's saying, our Father. So in the same way that I relate to God— I'm inviting you into that intimate relationship. And that's what prayer is meant to be. It's to say, our Father. And so that title um, really shifted things in how I viewed. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus invites us into. And in the context of prayer, he's like saying, you know, the way that I commune with the Father, the way that I relate with Him, you can call Him our father. He's a shared father. Yeah. Um, that was critical. And that was in, yeah, Matthew 6. And then similarly, speaking about identity and how that informs prayer, um, Romans 8 is a powerful passage of scripture, but that talks about the Spirit's role in affirming our identity as children of God. And so even just knowing the Spirit inside of me is crying out. Abba Father. Like that is his nature inside of me. And so prayer is coming into the alignment of what the Spirit is already doing inside of me, crying out, Abba Father. Um, And then even later in that chapter um, where it talks about how even when we don't know what to pray, that the Spirit is interceding for us. And that for me is the it's such a comfort. It's like, I don't have to know what to pray. <laughs> yeah. I can just turn my posture towards the Lord and the Spirit is already interceding and I'm joining in the conversation that's already happening. And so what comfort, what relief, it's not like all on us, you know, to pray the right things kind of, you know, kind of thing. And so that's great. Yeah, That's really, really good. And now it's time for Best Of, Worst Of on Real Life Loading. This is where I share with you my opinions about some of the best and worst things in specific categories. And since we're closing the chapter on the year 2022, I thought I'd tell you what I think were some of the best things about this year and some of the worst things. So some of the best movies I saw this year were both in the theater and on streaming. I'll give you a combination of the two. One of the best movies I saw in the theater was Top Gun Maverick. It was a throwback to classic movie making, and I loved it. Plus, it inspired me and every other dude in the country to grow a mustache. (laughs) I did it for about 10 days until my wife suggested, (coughs) made me, shave it off. Another fantastic movie I saw not in the theater but on Netflix was Enola Holmes 2, starring Millie Bobby Brown. The first Enola Holmes was good, it was fine, but this just took it to another level. I like mystery movies, especially when they're combined with great action and interesting dialogue. And this film ticked all those boxes for me. Loved it. And lastly, on the best of category, when I joined Family Life a few years ago, I began regularly listening to their daily podcast called Family Life Today. I don't catch all of them because there's like five episodes a week, but my favorite series this year was when they had Brant Hansen on as a guest. 
His three-part interview about how a believer has no biblical basis to hold on to anger was the most provocative collection of episodes I heard all year on Family Life Today. So I'm going to have Brant Hansen on Real Life Loading in just a couple of weeks from now, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say about the biblical argument for always putting away anger. So that was best ofs. What about the worst ofs of the year 2022? Well, here's my short list. Worst MCU movie of the year, Thor, Love, and Thunder. It was such a step backward for the character of Thor, and I love humor as much as anyone, but this movie was just dumb for the sake of being dumb. Sure, there are a few amazing moments in it, but in general, I was super disappointed with how the whole thing turned out. Sorry. Next, and finally, worst movie theater candy that I had this year has gotta be snow caps. Okay, the problem is that the chocolate isn't sweet or rich or creamy, and the little crunchy sugar balls on top of the semi-sweet chocolate chips add nothing to the flavor. It feels like you're chewing a handful of unsweet brownie batter that's been coated with sand. So they lose the worst candy I had this year. This has been Best of, Worst of, 2022 edition on Real Life Loading. Now back to my time with Ruth Bethany. So, I mean, like, what is your journey with God in prayer? Can you give us, like, some practically, what have some rhythms of prayer look like for you on, like, a day-in and day-out basis? Because we can get these examples from Scripture you're obviously someone who I feel is this is a spiritual gift of yours. Can you give us some practical examples of what your journey of prayer has looked like and how that flows on a day-to-day basis? I mean, I think a huge part, like I, in that question of just the journey of prayer, I kept thinking about a very formative season in my relationship with God and how that in a lot of ways, catalyze viewing it as relational lifeline and not just a thing I need to do. It's like, no, this connects me to God who is life. Yeah. And yeah. so a huge part of that for me was I struggled with an eating disorder for seven years of my life, starting at age 14 until college. And it was kind of all consuming. It was really intense. But that's where there was the facade of any kind of what prayer ought to look like or what I ought to say was just thrown out the window because there's just no room for it. The facade was taken away and how God showed me that He invites all of ourselves to be before Him, um, that we don't have to hide anything and how, yes, yeah, Scripture very much informs how we relate with Him, how we know Him. That was very critical in terms of viewing relation or prayer as like a relational lifeline and connecting me to God. And so um, one thing practically that I do is I see prayer as a response to the presence of God. And one of the things I pray and like to pray even in the morning is just, Lord, make me aware of your presence. Mm. Help me by the power of your spirit to make me aware of your relational nearness. And so then prayer is a response to that. And then even just being aware of what numbs me to the presence of God, because God is way more available than we, I think, think He is or believe He is. Um, and so what nuns me to the nearness of God and just being aware of that. So 
practically even when I first wake up, not going to my phone right away because that's yeah. like instant in a way numbing. I'm going in a different direction, but what does it look like to just be aware of the presence of God? And then I have places, I I call them my prayer trigger places, which I know that's like not, it has like a negative connotation <laughs> to it, but it's not. But just in these places, like my car is a uh-huh. place of prayer because that's something that I do all the time. And so that's where I'll just start praying and talking to God out loud, whether I'm alone or whether my kids are in the car, that they just see that, that we just talk to God and it could just be about our day surrendering to the Lord, or it could just be like, what's on my mind? What's on my heart as I get into the car and I'm going someplace? How can I just move towards the Lord? Um, Yeah, shower too. It's like random, but it's, those are my places of prayer that, you know, happen on a regular basis and remind me like, okay, God's here and I can respond to Him. I've also partnered with other people in prayer. And so this can just be finding other people that you know you both want to grow in prayer and just setting a time to pray together. And it's amazing what God can do when you just show up with it and and the intent to seek Him. And so that has looked different over the years, whether it's a group of people, yeah, whether I'm taking like a class and there's prayer through that. But yeah, so those are some of the ways practically what that looks like. And then obviously scripture, I think, is one of the most beautiful ways, avenues of prayer that as we're praying, you know, the Lord can reveal stuff in our hearts and we can just bring that to Him in prayer and talk to Him about it. Or if there's beautiful things that we see about Him, that can just form into praising Him through prayer and scripture. So scripture is a huge way I also connect with the Lord through prayer. Yeah, it's Just kind of praying back what I see in scripture. So I, I want to ask you a couple of follow-up questions to that. One of them is, you know, you mentioned earlier on with your eating disorder, which I knew about, you're talking about how prayer was able to tangibly get you through that. Yeah. What were some of the experiences that you had in both like good moments and like harder moments where you were able to cry out to the Lord? Because I can remember certain times in my life, like being in so much pain one time which you know this about me with my nerve pain because of the disc in my back. Like I remember laying in bed one night and being in so much pain and tears were coming out of my eyes and pooling into my ears as I was crying. And I was like, God, I know that you could take this away. Just please do it now. Could you do it now? Could you please do it now? I just, I just want relief from this. And him saying no to that at the time and me being like confused and upset. But at the same time, I was taking my desires to God. Yeah. For you in those moments, like what, what were some of the good moments and some of the hard moments as you were wrestling through something that is very real to so many young people? People right now? Yeah, I mean, it was long, you know, seven years, um, and it varied in intensity. But yeah, I mean, I just, I remember being raw with God. I, I think about my prayer life before then, and granted, I was 14 when it began, but it was just like, I think this is what I'm supposed to pray, and I would just pray, and there was nothing pressing. But then it was like, you know, I found such comfort in the Psalms and seeing how the psalmist talked to God, and I was like, God put this in the Bible. You know, he obviously invites this kind of raw relationship with him. And so then it gave permission. I remember, yeah, distinctly, like I never, thankfully, I never felt suicidal um, in that time. But I just remember thinking like the quality of life was so poor. But, you know, just like looking around me, the quality of life felt so, I was like, God, why? 
why am I alive if mm. this is it? I remember asking him that or even just telling him, I don't like this. <laughs> like, yeah. You yeah. know, just being really honest and saying, I don't like this. And I, I mean, those were some of the low points where it's like, I don't, I don't think you can bring any good out of this because all I see is destruction and some of it I'm choosing myself, but all I see is that. And telling that to him through prayer is that there's no way you're going to redeem this, kind of mocking God and taunting him in that way. And, um, but then also seeing his faithfulness that he never left me, even as I said that and he gave space for that. Um, but then I think about in those times of prayer, because I would often journal, and then Scripture is very intertwined um, in that relationship. And just reading passages of Scripture where it's like, you are speaking to me right now in this moment. And so I can't doubt that you're near, even though I don't understand why this is prolonged. And so things like Psalm 73, 26, where it says, My heart and my flesh may fail, but the Lord is the portion of my life and my heart forever. And just being like, okay, I do feel like my heart and flesh are failing. And God speaks to this, and yet He says He is the portion of my life. And so, yeah, sweet moments in those, I mean, really hard places, but seeing that God would meet me there, that He holds space for that kind of honesty. And then He doesn't leave me, but He stays close. Um yeah, that's yeah. so. And these are times that you're talking about here. These are times not like you became a Christian before that. Yes, you were a Christian very young. Yeah. And so, a lot of people think I'm not allowed to be broken or messed up or depressed or have an eating disorder or wrestle with anxiety or be you know have mental health issues or all these things after I become a Christian. These were all in the context of being a Christian already. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would look at that and go, "Well, get your act together. You're a Christian." Oh yeah, I felt yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> I felt that way. Ruth, get your, I mean, that was, a, and that was, again, something that even God was highlighting was how performance-based, even my relationship with him. And it was like, with that, the mess couldn't be contained. Yeah. Um, but that was, looking back, I mean, obviously it's easier to look back and see that. It was like, that was actually a mercy of God that he was plunging me, thrusting me into grace that is unmerited favor. Yeah. You know, and experiencing that. And, um, but yeah, it was absolutely after I, um, I accepted Christ, but then I chose to get baptized at 13 and then started struggling at 14. So it was like, mm. yeah, it was right after that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing for all of us to know. And in particular for young people to know, because the resounding default from an older generation is get your stuff together. Mm. Or like you said, coming from my own heart, why can't I get it together? Mm-hmm. And then you're able now on the other side of that to look back at it and understand, oh, I probably knew what the definition of grace was back then. Like you could say, oh, it's unmerited favor, undeserved favor from God extended toward me. But then you were able to experience it in a way that you're like, oh, now I know what grace is. Like I knew what grace was up in my head, but now I understand it because I have experienced it. And that is a thing of beauty. Thank you for unpacking that. And that's obviously tender and a part of your life that it's beautiful to see God's faithfulness, not only in how he's redeemed you, but how he's used you to redeem others. The dark parts of life and the beautiful parts of life sometimes overlap. And when they overlap, this is often where God moves and works in a number of different 
incredibly profound ways. The other thing that I wanted to mention to you is you said trigger. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could call it springboard or oh, like launch pad <laughs> or you, something like you. that. Yeah. <laughs> we just rework it. I don't know. I was trying to spin some more positive language there. I know. I know. I was like, there's got to be a better. That's what comes to mind. It's like it does. It, it prompts me. Maybe prompt is prompts the best. Yeah, yeah, prompt. It prompts yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. I like the word trigger anyway. <laughs> it's, I'm not making fun of you. Ruth is such a kind and authentic person who helps me see that prayer isn't something that I should do, but more of something that I get to do as a Christ follower. And in the getting to do, I'm able to connect more deeply with the heart of God and see my life changed more and more into the image of his son as a result. So, so good. And we've got more with Ruth Bethany again next time. So make sure you check us out when the next episode of Real Life Loading drops for part two of my time with her. If this episode with Ruth Bethany was helpful for you, I'd love for you to share today's podcast with a friend. And wherever you get your podcasts, it can really advance what we're doing with Real Life Loading if you'd rate and review us. And it's way easy to find us on our social channels. Just search for Real Life Loading or look for our links in the show notes. I want to thank my producers, Josh Batson and Bruce Goff. I'm Shelby Abbott. Happy New Year, and we'll see you back next time on Real Life Loading. Real Life Floating is a production of Family Life, a crew ministry, helping you pursue the relationships that matter most. Oh, yay. <laughs>